There are two questions of the day. The first one is, when it comes to the NFL playoffs, is it more depressing to be a Saints fan or a fan of the Buffalo Bills and or Dallas Cowboys? At least with the Saints, you know, in December, you can pretty much throw your dreams away, whatever dreams they might be. With the other two teams, they actually thought they had a chance, but they did what they do in January. Stink it up. The other question is, what the hell is going to happen with Sean Payton? Well, we're going to get into all those things and more with the Saints coming up with local sports guru, Michael Detillier of WWL Radio, coming up next on Datitude. If you're looking for the latest scoop and in-depth interviews on the Saints, the NFL, the Pelicans, LSU, along with the best bets of the week, then lucky you. Along with high-powered, in-the-know guests who cover our teams, Jim Derry brings plenty of datitude. And he'll always tell you the way it is, or at least the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends out there who were wondering who was going to win that king cake, Jeff Duncan or Jim Derry. Well, that answer is pretty clear. Jeff Duncan bet on the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, is there any better king cake than free king cake? Who would bet on the Dallas Cowboys this time of year? Not me. And I am Jim Derry, sports betting writer at the Times-Picayune, the advocate, and bet.nola.com. This is Datitude, episode number 134 for a Monday January the 23rd, 2023, 123-23, in case you're writing. Does anybody write the date down anymore? I mean, remember, I, I, I mean, I know I've done it since school, but you always had to write the date down. And it, it seems like lately you always get these weird numbers together, I guess because you're in that time when the dates and the years still match up. So I, I guess we got another seven, eight years of that, 123-23. I always said that kind of stuff was cool. Last year when you had 222-22, you know, 11, uh, 12 years ago, 111-11, you know, that stuff, I don't know. I, I digress, but uh, I, I find numbers interesting. And here's some numbers that are interesting for you. 19-12, to 27-10, those were the scores of the games we watched yesterday. I expected the Bengals and Bills to be a classic. Kind of along the lines of the Chiefs and the Bills last year in the divisional round. I was wrong. The Bengals were, I thought the Bengals could win, and I very much thought they would cover. As I talked about in my best bets, and I had the Bengals in my, in my big teaser with the Chiefs. Ding, ding, ding. That was another winner. You need to listen to these things on Friday. I thought the San Francisco 49ers would cover and win easily. They didn't win easily. But after about maybe the middle of the third quarter, did anyone think that the Cowboys were going to win the game yesterday? Every time I kind of thought the Cowboys were going to win or had a chance to win, I looked and saw number four on the other, other team. I Look, you could call Dak Prescott whatever you want, and he's a 
he's obviously an above-average quarterback. But it shows you how many tiers there are to being a quarterback in the NFL. We're going to talk about the NFL playoffs. Playoffs? See, you, you still can't do it. You, you cannot do it. I mean, I did it in the open, but I had to really control myself to be able to do it. You, you, can't, you can't do it. You, you know? It's a weird day. It's a weird morning. Um, Mike Dettelier is coming on of WWL Radio in just a few moments. I haven't had Mike on in a while. In fact, not all season. It just kind of weird happened that way. Um, but Mike's going to come on. He's going to talk about uh, what happened yesterday, what happened Saturday, what we think might happen next weekend in the in the championship games. But, of course, we're going to talk about the Saints. And, of course, we're going to talk about Sean Payton. And um, I have a feeling, I have a strong feeling that either today or tomorrow, the Houston Texans are going to name a head coach. And I've said this on the show in the past week or two, that I thought that the Texans were really the only viable place for Sean Payton to go. If he doesn't go to the, the Texans, I think then there's an 80 to 90% chance that he doesn't coach in 2023. And I still believe that. I mean, I had people last night, I mean, again, those who listen to the show know I play poker on Sunday nights or most Sunday nights. And uh, I had six, seven, eight people last night ask me, where's Sean Payton going to go? And my answer is, I think he's going nowhere. I think he's going to be on Fox again next year. And I truly believe that because I don't think the Texans are going to name him the coach. And why do I think the Texans are going to name their coach today or tomorrow? Somebody knows something because it came off the board at DraftKings. You know, you can go into DraftKings and bet who's going to be the next coach of all these openings and there's percentages and whatever. And um, they don't necessarily know anything while those odds are up there. I mean, some people may think they know things. But when something comes off the board, like the Texans came off the board, that means somebody knows something. So I think there's a good chance that that job gets filled either today or tomorrow. We'll, we'll, we'll wait and see. Will that force other dominoes to fall? Sometimes it does. Sometimes it doesn't. But again, and the reason why I say that, and I'll ask Mike this question in a little bit, but uh, the reason I say that is because of the other openings, and I've explained, I explained this on Friday. You can go back and listen to Friday's show. I had a fabulous talk with Jeff Duncan on Friday. And... Uh, you know, again, I had friends ask me, does Duncan really know what he's talking about? I mean, yes, he does. I mean, Jeff Duncan knows as many people inside that Saints organization as anyone outside of the Saints organization does. And that includes the Shefties and the Rappaports and whoever else you want to talk about. I mean, that doesn't mean that he's always right, but... If Jeff Duncan says something, I'm not, I'm not just saying this because we're colleagues and friends. If Jeff Duncan says something about the Saints, I believe it. Just kind of like Mike Dettelier who's coming on. If Mike Dettelier says something about the Saints, I'm probably going to believe it. Not always. It doesn't always come out that way, but way more times than not. So if he says something, you need to listen to it, and especially um, you know, more times than not, you can make reason and sense out of it, and that's what Jeff Duncan did on Friday. So... If you missed the show and you got time later on, go back and listen to it. It's an interesting show. But, um, again, Sean Payton, because I think, personally, 
I don't think Denver has the draft capital to offer the Saints unless they're willing to offer their first rounder this year, which is going to be the San Francisco 49ers pick, which we now know is either going to be, what, 29, 30, 31, or 32? That's not good enough. You'd have to offer something else. I don't know if you'd have to offer a number one for next year as well, but it starts with your number one this year, and considering how low it's going to be, it's going to have to be something else as well. I just don't know that they have enough. Sure, they have enough money. You know, people, well, they can offer, you know, Walmart, blah, blah, blah. They can offer whatever. Yeah, sure, they can offer Sean Payton the moon. That doesn't mean Mickey Loomis is going to let him go there. And then the other two, not going to happen. He's not going to go to Carolina. Carolina would have to give the Saints the moon. They're not going to do that. There's too many other coaching candidates out there that I think they'd be willing to take a chance with. I mean, in a pipe dream, it's like, you know, if uh, you know you go to the you go to the I don't want to say the mall, but you you have you know you have this you need a nice new backpack, and you go to the store or whatever store you would go to to get backpacks, and you see this uh, Louis Vuitton backpack that cost eight hundred dollars, and you see this nice. Really nice canvas backpack that's cost $75. Which backpack is the average Joe going to buy? Now, we're talking about average Joes in NFL football teams. I get it. But not only would the Carolina Panthers have to give the Saints their number one pick, which is going to be way too high probably for them to want to give to a division rival. But then you're also going to have to pay Sean Payton 20 to $25 million. You you buy the Louis Vuitton backpack when is your team even good enough to wear a Louis Vuitton backpack? Nah. Too many things need to happen for Carolina to get Sean Payton. So then that leaves us with Arizona. I've said this a thousand times. I mean, I don't know, I know how many other ways to say it. Sean, that's lip service. Sean Payton's talking to Arizona because he has to. He's not going to work for the Bidwells. That's out. I will ask that of Mike Dettelier in just in a moment, but uh, not going to happen. But back to the P-L-A-Y-O-F-F-S. Playoffs! See, I can't even do it when I spell it. Can't do it. Um, was anybody surprised from Sunday's games? The only game that surprised me the entire weekend was the Eagles and Giants. Not so much because... The Eagles won, but how they won. And I shouldn't have been surprised. It's kind of like last week when I was surprised. I don't say surprised. When I was wrong about Tampa Bay being able to compete with Dallas. Tampa Bay shouldn't have been in the playoffs. That, 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 we know that already. They shouldn't have been in there. So I was wrong about that. I was wrong about the Giants being able to compete. So that leads me, it's going to really be hard next week. I'm still in my knockout pool. And the only, I can pick any team next week. They just need to win. And if, you don't, if you're not familiar with the knockout pools, you pick one team to win every week. If they win, you move on. They lose, you're out. The caveat is you can only pick the same team. You can't pick the same team more than once. So once you pick them, they're done. Now, when you get in the playoffs, it resets. So I've already picked Buffalo. 
And um, let's see. Yeah, I picked Buffalo. And then this week I picked Kansas City. So that means I can't pick Kansas City next week, but I wouldn't pick them anyway because we don't know what's happening with Patrick Mahomes. So do I pick Cincinnati? Do I pick San Francisco? Do I pick Philadelphia? Well, I know a lot of you are going to say Philadelphia. And then you worry about the Super Bowl when you get in the Super Bowl. And by the way, there's 14 teams left. If one of the 14 teams when you get in the Super Bowl has picked both teams, it resets again. So that's kind of what I'm counting on, and then you can pick whoever you want. But this week is tough. I mean, as I speak to you right now, the Bengals are one-point underdogs against the Chiefs. And the 49ers, which opened, it opened as a, the one-and-a-half-point dog, but big bets obviously came in on the Eagles immediately because it's two-and-a-half now. And I do not like, I try to stay away from recency bias. The problem with that is this time of year, it's hard to stay away from recency bias because a team that's on a roll in the playoffs is different than a team that's on a roll in the regular season. So I don't know what I'm going to do at this moment. I've been saying for the last probably 10 to 12 weeks that I thought that the San Francisco 49ers were the best team in football. I think that's true still. But Brock Purdy yesterday, it goes to show how important a quarterback is. This is why I kind of think that the Bengals kind of have to be the favorite to win this thing now. I think the team that has either the best defense, especially if they have the best defense and the best quarterback, or a quarterback that can just will their team to victory with a decent defense. And if you think about it, what, what of the teams that are remaining, I'm not sure it matters how good the Bengals' defense is right now. I mean, the Bengals can play any kind of game. They can play a shootout and win. They can play a low-scoring game and win. But they win. Joe Burrow, to me, is there. It's not about... We've been talking about Joe Burrow and where he's going and where he's come from and all those things. He's there. You don't have to wait. You don't have to wonder. You know, people compare him to different guys, and I'm old, and I know 80% of the football-watching crowd thinks that Tom Brady's the GOAT. I understand why, but I don't. I think Joe Montana is the best quarterback that I ever saw play. If Joe Montana had played in these days, he'd have played until he was 42, 43 years old. It's a different game. And I know that if there were two minutes left in the game and my team was losing by three, I wanted Joe Montana. I hated him as a Saints fan, but he won. Always won. You knew he was going to win. You were 100% sure that Joe Montana was going to win. And you were 95% right. Tom Brady, I'm not taking anything away from him. He's got more rings than anybody else. But rings, that's not the argument to me. I mean, Trent Dilfer's got a ring. Do you put Trent Dilfer? uh, uh, I mean, I don't know the exact number of quarterbacks who have won a Super Bowl. I'd have to go back and figure it out because, obviously, 
there are quarterbacks with multiple and many multiple Super Bowls. So let's just say the number is 40. I don't think it's that high. I actually think it's in the high 30s. But let's just say 40 quarterbacks in NFL history have won a Super Bowl. You think Trent Dilfer is one of the top 40 quarterbacks who ever played the game? Terry Bradshaw has four rings. How many quarterbacks have four rings? I think Tom Brady's the only other one, right? Am I wrong on that? Does that mean that Terry Bradshaw is the second best quarterback who's ever played football? No. So where I'm going with this is I think Joe Montana is the best quarterback who ever played. We can agree or not agree or we can debate it or whatever. The point is, that's who I compare Joe Burrow to. He's a little bit bigger, but that's, that's to me, when I watch Joe Burrow play, I, I think I'm looking in a, in a vacuum. I'm going back in time, and I see Joe Montana. That's who Joe Burrow reminds me of. The dude's just got it. And I, I don't care who he plays. He consistently beats all people to want to talk about in the AFC is the Bills and the Chiefs, and I understand why. I mean, Patrick Mahomes, we could talk about Joe Burrow, and I love Joe Burrow, but when healthy, when not injured, Patrick Mahomes, there is no debate. We can, you can do whatever, talk about whatever you want. Patrick Mahomes does things that human beings shouldn't be able to do. So when healthy, Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL, and could, could one day be the best quarterback that's ever played this game. I guess Joe Burrow could be too. But I don't know, with that being said, I don't want to bet against Joe Burrow. His receiving core, first off, is better than the Chiefs' receiving core. His O-line stinks all we heard about all week long was his O-line stinks. They're playing. They've got three starters hurt. Didn't make one bit of difference. Doesn't make a damn bit of difference. It didn't last year either. They got to the Super Bowl. And you know what? I think they're going to get to the Super Bowl again. I mean, as we sit here on a Monday morning, I got to say, I think the Bengals are going to the Super Bowl. I mean, part of it is because Mahomes is hurt and he's not... He's going to play, but he's not going to be Patrick Mahomes. I know I said that about Jalen Hurts last week, and I was wrong. But high ankle sprains are different kind of animals. Well, I mean, this is, gonna, this is a whole different level here. But remember when Michael Thomas's first injury, he went four years or whatever without getting hurt. And now, what, he's played like seven games since? But that first injury was a high ankle sprain. That high ankle sprain cost him, what, a year and a half? Now, most people aren't going to miss a year and a half with a high ankle sprain. But if you suffer a high ankle sprain, it's happened to a lot of people, a lot of players. Happened to Alvin Kamara. If you suffer a high ankle sprain in, like, week four, I'm not saying your season is done. But you're probably not going to be the same again until the end of the year. Because you keep playing on it. And it's like Tony Romo said yesterday, and he would know. 
When you suffer a high ankle sprain, you can finish that game out. You can grit it out. They can shoot something in there. They can wrap that tape around. But when that tape comes off, your ankle is going to swell up like a watermelon. That's what's going to happen. It's going to just blow up like somebody blew air into a balloon. I guarantee you that Patrick Mahomes' ankle yesterday morning when he woke up was purple, swollen, and he couldn't even walk to the kitchen to get a cup of coffee. Will he be able to will they be able to shoot him up or do whatever they do? Mike, I mean, uh, Patrick Mahomes is not gonna allow anyone else to play. He's not gonna care what anyone says. He's not like <clears throat> Mike Thomas. He's not like Brandon Ingram. Well, I said that on Twitter and I I pissed a few people off. I don't care. You get paid millions of dollars. People need to be like Athletes need to be like, oh, they're worried about their future, and you're some fat guy with a microphone. What do you know? I know that if I got paid millions of dollars to play ball, my ass would be out there the second that I thought it was even semi-feasible. they got to protect their future. Your future is now. You're making millions and millions of dollars. Well, they might not be able to make it. They've got more money than they know what to do with for the rest of their lives already. Get your ass out there and play ball. I don't care if you don't like it. I don't care if you think I'm wrong. I'm not wrong. Because I look at Patrick Mahomes as I go off into a tangent. And this dude could say, you know what? I don't, it's going to hurt like hell. I don't know if I'm be able to walk for three weeks. My team worked its ass off, and I owe it to them. Not any fan, not any stupid podcast host, not any talking head, not my mama. I owe it to my teammates to be out there on the field, and that's what Patrick Mahomes is going to do on Sunday. I promise you. And he's going to play better than... 29 other quarterbacks would play probably. Is it good enough to beat Joe Burrow? I don't know. As I sit here again on Monday, if I had to pick one right now, and I don't have to pick one right now because I'm going to do analysis and I'm going to go through numbers and I'm going to look through past results and I'm going to do all kinds of things. But the Bengals keep beating the Bills and the Chiefs. They, they're what, 3-0 and against the Chiefs? Burrow didn't care. He just doesn't care. He wins. It's going to be a fun game. And the Niners and the Eagles, I'm looking forward to that one too because I've been, like I said, I've been saying the 49ers are the best team in the NFL for probably 10, 12 weeks now. Brock Purdy is, what, 7-0, 8-0, whatever he is. And they didn't play great yesterday. And he didn't play great yesterday. But they won. And I thought... The Dallas defense was outstanding. I thought they were incredible. And yet the Niners still found a way to win. They went on that one key drive at the end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter. And scored the touchdown. And then kicked the field goal to make it 19-12. 
And then the 49ers defense did what the 49ers defense does. So do you have recency bias and you take Philadelphia? Because Philadelphia and the Bengals were the two best teams this weekend. There's no questioning that. The difference is the Bengals played the Bills and the Eagles played the Giants. It's kind of like the Cowboys playing the Bucks last week. How much stock do you put in? And I was completely wrong. I thought the Giants were better than they were. I didn't. I've been. I haven't given enough. I didn't want to admit the truth that the Vikings really stink. Well, the Vikings really stink. So, how much stock do you put in to a Giants team getting their asses kicked by Philadelphia? It's going to be a tough pick this this next week. I'm not ready to pick that one at all. And uh, going back to the long circle around what my knockout pick is going to be this week, I have no idea right now. I said it on Monday, I have no idea. It's going to be a fun championship weekend. Um, I guess the games overall this weekend, I've always said that, you know, you heard me say this a bunch of times, but this is my most favorite weekend of the year. It is. We'll see what happens. But it's time to get into Mr. Detoyer. I don't want to take up too much of his time. I have not talked to him yet, and it's time to get in the room with him and chat, and I'm going to do it right now. Welcoming into the Dadtude Podcast on this Monday morning, WWL Radio Guru, Mike Detillier. And, uh, Mike, it's been a while since we had you on the show. I'm so glad you could make it this morning. It's a lot going on right now. Yeah, it uh, doesn't really end, even though the season, for the most part, for most teams are over. You know, you, you got the championship game, Super Bowl. Then for me, it's sort of the off-season of off-season when you have free agency, the draft, the draft itself, and then it works right back around. I got, like, three different people wanting me to write for their magazines so they can get that out in May. So I get it. it How do you do all that, Mike? How do you do all that? Um you know, my experience, it ain't my first clam bit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and so uh, I, I've done it for so many years. And so you kind of routined with it and understanding how to do it. And uh, I'm good. Uh, one of the things uh, Bobby tells me, I don't see how you can do it. I'm good with like four hours of sleep every night. Oh, no. Yeah, I, I can go to bed 1230 and then. Because I, you know, I was involved in engineering for so long. I'd wake right. up at 30 every morning, and I've not broken that habit, even though it's been almost two years I've retired. 4.30 in the morning you wake up? 4.30 every morning. Like still even now? Still even now. Well, I'll tell you what. Sometimes, Mike, I'm not even sleeping yet at 4.30 in the morning. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny how you kind of body clock tells you certain things and how yeah. you throw it off. And a lot of times I almost sort of try to force myself into going back asleep. And so uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> well, it's one of those deals. I want to find out, though. I, I tell you what, I think about uh, when you get to my age, you can see retirement on the horizon but it's way too far to, like, embrace it or anything and think about it. So, you know, I want to I know. One of these days I'm going to know what it's like to be retired. But, yeah, me but, too. But, uh, you're, I, I but you're not retired, though. I, I did it for a little while, and then my wife was, you are absolutely miserable. 
uh, you know, and I'm like, okay, no, we go on vacation, you know, and after three, four days, I'm like, you know, what, what the hell am I doing here? And so, you know, and I, it's funny for me because life sort of has worked with me like that, that like all of a sudden I get like three to four offers all within a week. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that's what happened with me. Uh, WWL radio, uh, got in touch with me and uh, we had sort of all kept in touch. And then COVID hit about, listen, if you thinking about doing something, just talk to us before you do it. And, you know, then 2020 hit and COVID situation. And then uh, as the end of 2020 came around, they were like, Hey, listen, we'd be interested. And then all of a sudden it was SEC network, Tennessee Titans, radio network and oh i can't imagine on a tennessee titans radio network and it was like what uh because i've done stuff for the titans um since they've been in nashville i've always done pre-game their draft free agency coverage i've always done it and then they were like can we expand it maybe a little bit and i'm like oh okay uh let me think about that and they were the first to call then wwl sec network cbs and I'm like, man, but but life's work for me like that. I, I can't I can't imagine a guy from the Bayou doing a, a doing a Tennessee Titans uh, show. Oh, I've done it all, all these years, and uh, they love it, you know. And when you do stuff in New York, it's the craziest thing because <laughs> I guess sometimes the accent has mm-hmm. some little wrinkle of being the same that were like, well, you, you sure you grew up on the bike? I was like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hear me talk no more than 15 seconds to know that. And they were like, oh, you know, because you have a little bit of an accent that would be here. And I'm right. like, hey. I've never been uh, sort of looked at as somebody from New York. So uh, it is pretty good. Yeah, well, I think I think yet maybe sounds more like New York. I, I, I could be you know, I could be on my deathbed with my eyes closed and not be able to speak, and I knew I would know Mike where Mike Dettelier was yeah, from. Yeah, same thing uh, on L.A. Bear. They could put him in a Russian prison oh yeah, for, sure. for 30 years, and he'd come out, and he would he would still sound the same. Oh, there's no question about that. There's no question about that. All right, let's get to the, the workings of what we got going on. And I do want to talk to you about the NFL playoffs briefly, but I want to start with, with the Saints and Sean Payton. And Jeff Duncan and I get together every Friday morning. And we had a really we had a longer in a talk than than normal this past Friday. There's a lot of things to talk about when it comes to the Saints, and obviously with Sean Payton. I want to get your opinion first off on the retaining of Pete Carmichael, and um, obviously not just fans, but lots of lots of people in the know just assume that Pete Carmichael was no longer going to be the offensive coordinator. Jeff Duncan says there's a possibility that maybe they still bring someone on else on who calls plays. It's a weird situation. I'd like to get your take on it, Mike, and, and what you think could happen in the future. And were you surprised that the Saints kept Pete Carmichael? Yeah, uh, because everybody says, oh, Saints love continuity. And I had an old boss tell me this years ago, uh, and he was involved with NASA, and he was like, I love continuity if we're successful. Right. If we're not successful, then what does continuity mean? I'm keeping the same thing over and over, and I'm going to get the same results. Uh, but normally in the NFL, success and continuity don't mix because 
if somebody comes get that success and takes it away from you, uh, unless you're the head coach. So I was surprised. I, I really was. Uh, and it's not, <clears throat> it's not all Pete's fault, but there were times I think I was like everyone else baffling about this team really struggled to get first downs, really struggled to utilize personnel. And you didn't win up front. Okay, for all the early draft choices and all the money you've spent offensive line on Ramchak, Andrews Pete, McCoy, Ruiz, okay? Uh, now, Hurst is a different story. And then you spent a first-round pick on Trevor Penning. Uh, the results up front were not great at all. Not at all. And so look in the playoffs where these teams are winning. They're winning up front. Yes, they all have the signature quarterback but one uh, with San Francisco, but everybody else is winning up front. Everybody else is winning up front. And I think it's a big part of it. And so, yes, I was surprised. That would be even a more awkward spot where you keep Pete and yet, he's not calling the plays. So, what do you have him there for? To drop a game plan and then someone else calls the plays? Man, well, I don't get that. I don't. I don't, I don't either. But he, he. You, I will say this is obviously, and we don't know how much Sean Payton was game planning and calling plays and whatever else. But he worked well with Sean Payton. But I guess when you do it in hindsight, there's probably you and me might work well with Sean Payton too when it comes to offense. And and Drew because and Drew I, obviously you know all those years with uh, you know Zach worked a couple of years with us at WWL he said you know a lot of times they'd come up with the game plan and on a Friday you know they'd give it to to Drew and he's looking at well this isn't gonna work uh, this one that works but let's do it out of this formation and you know this one's not gonna work but this one looks good this one looks good uh, I don't really care for that you know so right you've got I think one of the things. Pete doesn't get as much credit for as he should. When you have two real strong personalities, as Drew and Sean, okay, they're not going to agree on everything, play calling wise. They're not going to agree on that. I always thought that Pete was a great peacemaker between the two. Okay, uh, look, coach, uh, you know, Drew doesn't really do this as well. Let's not run this play. And, and he was a great compromise guy and right. I people don't understand that in this world when you are at that level you need somebody sometimes to calm both nerves and I thought Pete was able to do that and also relay maybe something he would see from the sidelines or whatever back to Drew and that that's part of it but play calling is an art form it really is you got to, that is unbelievable. Oh, people, oh, I could do it. You can do it from your house. That's the worst thing about fantasy football and that. <laughs> now everybody become uh, Bill Walsh. They become Belichick. They become Peyton. They become Kyle Shanahan. They can call plays. No, it is a real art form to do it at that level. And then having somebody that can kind of transform what you're thinking and then get it done on the field. Because you're like, uh, Bobby had this comment from me years ago. He's like, Mike, it's like you're a fighter pilot, okay? And you're flying those planes, and then they're after you. 
you have that bang period of time to make that decision. Okay, you're not back there thinking, eh, let me think about what I'm going to do. <laughs> nope. It's a short period of time. So it is an art form. It is something. I think the thing that gets lost in all this, Carmichael stays, Carmichael goes, Carmichael calls plays, he does it, is what type offense do you want to run for this team? What's the identity for him on offense? Which I don't know that we that the Saints had an identity. None. Have none. So how do you how, how do you go another season trying to figure out and I mean I completely 100% agree with everything you just said. So how do you go another season? And I mean do you think he's going to mysteriously find an identity as we go along? Well, part of that identity is who you have a quarterback. Listen, well, there's this, no doubt about that. That that is something that when it's all said and done and we look back at this, say, 10 years from now, that for all the good like Mickey and Sean did to put this team in the golden age of Saints football. No question. The look into the crystal ball about post-Sean wasn't there, was not there. That They didn't have that plan in place that when Sean left, I mean – Sean and Drew was such a big part of this. But when Drew left first, who was going to take over? Who was going to be the guy? And then off of that, then you can come up with an identity. Because every quarterback's going to be a little bit different. I think for me, Dennis Allen would really like to run the football more. I think he'd like to be more of a power Which is fine. oriented coach. Okay, you don't have that type of runner. Do you have that type of offensive no. line? No. So, okay, so now you're trying to slam the square peg in the round hole. So that's going to be the key this offseason. You're figuring out your identity, but first things first, you better figure out who you're going to have at quarterback. No, there's no question about that. And, by the way, if you, if, unless you live in, like, Helena, Montana, and can't tell Mike to tell you here on the Datitude podcast this morning, talking about the, the Saints and Pete Carmichael. And, I, you know, you, you want to go to quarterback. It, it, the thing is, with Drew, at least you had time. You knew at least a year or two ahead of time that Drew's time was coming to an end. You had time to prepare. I think, I mean, obviously, Mickey was taken by complete surprise when, when Sean decided to, you know, I needed some time off. So there is at least, an ex, I don't want to say excuses in the right word, but at least you can understand that there is a trans, there's this process in between where you go from nine and eight to the, this seven and 10 team, it can almost be excused somewhat. But the fact that this team seems so unprepared at times, I'm not sure who, who's to blame. I think, I think Dennis did the best job that he could do, I guess, to say, and he seemed to, they seemed to get it as the year went along. But when it comes to the offensive side of the ball, there was no plans at quarterback. I don't think that D.A. and Pete Carmichael and obviously weren't on the same page with Jameis Winston, who they now owe $14 million to next year. I mean, I don't understand where this team is at quarterback and now where you can go when you're so cap-strapped as they are. Yeah, and now you don't have a first-round pick as of today. Right. See what happens uh, with the Peyton situation, but you don't have one. And you look for most teams – 
it almost is a complete dive job before you can get your shot at one of those star quarterbacks. And then it's 50-50 if those guys work it's out. It's at 100%. Uh, for every Trevor Lawrence, there's a Baker Mayfield. There's a Sam Darnold, who's a middle-of-the-road guy. So, and uh, it puts you... Very Peyton Manning, there's a Ryan Leaf. Yeah, and, and so when you look at it, it's difficult to see the path now to get you there. And I go back to it. Even if you figure out the quarterback situation, then you look uh, on your defensive line where, okay, they've extended this to try to maybe make a shorter-term deal with a David Anyamata, Marcus Davenport. You don't have Contavious Street, you know, signed for next year. You have some interior defensive line question marks. Uh, Carl Grandison, who played pretty well down the stretch for them, you're going to have to re-sign him. Uh, Cam, I thought, played really well, really decent. Uh, At his age, when you look at it, he was such a good player and such a dependable guy, but he's not getting any younger, okay? Peyton Turner, he's been in the witness protection agency. Uh, So now you've got a situation where where do you turn to? Because you, you have as many question marks as you have answers. I think the biggest thing for this season that caught my eye was it took so long for the defense to come around. Yeah. Because figure the last eight games of the season. They were phenomenal. They gave up only 118 yeah. points. That, that's less than 15 points a game. The problem is you only scored 118 points in right. those eight. So you didn't score anything. That's why you were four and four down the stretch. I think that's the biggest surprise that it took so long for a defense with most of the parts returning other than at safety. It took them that long to finally kind of get some footing uh, on this football team. And um, offensively, did they have anything they could hang their hat on other than Chris Olave? Because Chris Olave was a good player. As a rookie, really a good player. You may have found something in a, a speed guy in Rashid Shaheed. But, again, there was such inconsistency all across the board in the running game, passing game, protection. And then, you know, Andy is who he is as a player. He is who he is. He's going to give you solid work. But at crunch time, can he win you a game? Mike, I, I've said this for weeks and weeks and weeks. I like Andy Dalton as a person. But when you look at his stat line, you could take a box score from any game this year. Just pick one. And it's the same as any other box score from any other game in his career. You talk about knowing what you get, 100% you know what you're going to get. You're going to get a guy who's never won a postseason game, and I don't think ever is going to. I agree with you <laughs> 100%. So, is he the bridge guy to the next? Okay, but and, – and I hear that a lot. People, oh, he's the bridge guy, then we'll get the young quarterback. If you Dennis Allen, are you going to hang your hat on a rookie quarterback? Your job, because you can't do this again next year. And you can't come up with another seven-win team. No. And it won't be acceptable then. And, again, uh, this stuff about continuity is great. It's great to feed that to the fans and to the media. But, again, it's all great when you have success with continuity. 
Not well, with a seven-win football team. And, Mike, that, that's one of the things that I don't understand. I can completely understand, and I know most fans probably don't agree with me here, but I can completely understand giving D.A. another, another year. They, they definitely played better down the stretch, especially nope. defensively. Uh, but, but I don't want people to think that that three-game winning streak really means anything because it doesn't. It means nothing. But that being said, I'm okay with, with D.A. getting another shot. But I don't understand the – I didn't even think Pete really wanted the job. And so now you're kind of stuck. You have no identity on offense. There were times when it was clearly should have been Kamara and Taysom kind of games, and then Kamara and Taysom didn't – they were like somebody left them on the sideline or forgot, forgot to take them off the plane. I mean, they didn't show up. I mean, so, I mean, I just don't – there were game plans. You talk about it. There were a couple games where I thought he did a pretty good job, but there were – five or six games where I have no idea what they were doing during the week because their game plan made no sense. Jim, I think the greatest example, and they won the game out in Cleveland, coldest yeah. game ever. And we didn't see Taysom Hill 100%. carry the ball until less than four minutes left in the first half. And oh, the comment was, well, we wanted to see what they were doing defensively. What? Hey, you got to be ridiculous. Yeah, you accept that as an explanation? That doesn't make any sense at all. You knew what they were going to do. The field conditions weren't going to get any better. If anything, it could have got worse. So that's your explanation? No, yeah, you, I, I don't you buy were. that horse. <clears throat> that's, no. why, that's why I think the three-game winning streak means absolutely jack. You can't, I mean, the defense was phenomenal. So, I mean, I get there was ice and all that, whatever. But, I mean, I'm, I got to be honest. It's a good thing that they didn't win that last game because if they would have ended the season on a four-game winning streak and finished eight and nine, they would have been thinking way so much better about themselves than they really are. So if you're a Saints fan, you should be really glad they lost that game. I think it was a reality check. And um, I got told this years ago, Bill Parcells made this comment to me. He said, you know how you find out about your team what's really good and what's really bad? Last couple games of the season. Yeah. that It's the final kind of pages of the book and it tells you everything about what's good and what's bad what did we see the defense really played well down the stretch really did fantastic and they got pressure um they got ran on more this year than any other year in the last three and i know that really got a gripe ryan nielsen because he does all louisiana line camps every year and so we sit down and talk to do interviews, and he's like, don't ask me about a pass rush first. Come on, Mike. Got to ask me about stopping a run. We don't do that. We're not going to win. And so that has to get better. But look at the offense and how it was so mercurial. (laughs) And at times, you saw a great first drive. You never saw that team again. That's right. Never saw it. That's right. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. Um, (laughs) So, you know, it – you go into the into the free agency and the draft now, Mike, and you know you start one. And the first thing you got to think of is a who's going to be the quarterback. It cannot be Andy Dalton. The, the, you can't have Pete Carmichael and Andy Dalton back here now. You just you simply can't. If if you want to keep him as a backup, fine. But I, I I don't understand why they never even gave James Winston another shot. It still makes no sense to me. That's a whole another story. We don't need to get in. That uh, one is for the books to understand why he didn't get another shot. Made no sense. Strange, even to the average person, about 
You know, what did you have to lose here? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You have to lose here. Nothing. Oh. What, did, what, did, what did they think? I mean, and look, even if, okay, he should, to me, he should have got a shot well before this, but even if you go through and you like, you get to the Tampa game and you win it 16 to three, and you know, if you win this game, you're in control of your own destiny and you can go to the playoffs and do whatever. Okay, fine. I don't agree with it, but fine. But you go through there after they lost that game. What possible good did it do to start Andy Dalton after that? Because again, now is the mystery of why you didn't play him, and something how, had to be going on behind the scenes. <clears throat> That's no question in my mind. There is Jeff Duncan says no, and I I'm like I I believe him on ninety eight percent of the things he says, but there's nothing else, Mike, that makes sense besides something else. He pissed somebody off somewhere. I don't know how. I don't know why. I don't know who. But somewhere it had to be. It's the only thing that makes sense. Yeah, because the stuff about, well, Andy's really playing well. Right. <clears throat> you know, come on. That, that is unsellable. Uh, and you might say, well, he gives us the best chance to win. Well, you didn't see. How do you know? You didn't see enough of Jameis to say. That's what I said. How do you know? So, uh, again, this tells me I think this organization has moved off, certainly from Winston, and is on that verge of moving off from Dalton. And now, Mike, you're on. I mean, you're on the hook. They are already in cap hell anyway, and now you still you got a dead cap number of fourteen million dollars on Winston. So, what are you going to do with that? Well, you're going to cut him loose. Yeah, you're going <laughs> to eat it, and you're going to have to eat it. It's been something this team has done for a long time, and that's why. Um, a lot of times when I say it, people say, "Oh, because it's part of your business." How the draft is so important. Oh, you are paying okay. football minimum wage if you can hit. And you think about that. Brock Purdy. That, that 2017 draft where you got Lattimore and Ramchak yeah. and Marcus Williams and Kamara and Trey Hendrickson. Bang, bang, bang across the board. And you didn't have to pay for a long time. Right. Not going to have to. You had to. But or in some cases you you couldn't come up with a deal, but it gives you those four or five players that are key elements. You're not paying a lot of money to at that moment. And the, yes, the cap will rise, but you also putting more dead money, Jim. You're putting more dead money. There's on. so much dead money on this team right now. You eating it up in, in dead cap space. So it's it's starting to sound like a recurring theme, and I, I mean it. At some point, you got to figure out you can't keep kicking a can down the road, Mike. And you talk about the age of the defensive line. They ain't getting any younger. None of them are. And then you nope. got the bust and Peyton Turner. Demario Davis isn't getting any younger either. So I know you got some bright young uh, linebackers, and that's fine. But, uh, you know, you just can't. You got to, at some point, I think you just got to, you talk about taking the hit from Jameis Winston. Unfortunately, I think the A's in a spot where, I think next year is going to be worse than this year. And I think that you just got to almost just got to take the hit. You brace yourself, you get through it, and you're in a better situation, not much better in 2024, but then in 2025, if you, if you do it right, I don't know that Mickey wants to go that far down the road, but they could be in a decent spot in 25. And I know fans don't want to hear that, but at some point you just got to brace yourself and you know what? Punch me in the face because I just got to sit here and take it. That's all I can do at this point. 
Jim, at this point, um, all of us, you and I have, have seen a, a lot of bad with this team before Peyton and certainly the good. We knew this moment would happen. Yes. Okay. We, we also we didn't want to admit it through the last couple of years. Nobody wanted to believe it that you would eventually come to this fork in the road where no breeze, no Peyton. Okay. Now you've kind of mortgaged some things to get other pieces of the puzzle to win. Now you put a lot of money on the books. And what happens if it doesn't work? It, now what? It's like a politician who gets elected and he looks at the campaign manager, you know, like the candidate, Robert Redford, the movie. And what do I do now? Sounds like New Orleans. How <laughs> with it. <laughs> it sounds like a, a lot like what's going on in real life. Yeah. Uh, well, that leads me into to Sean Payton. And I got a scenario for you. You know, I, I, I got I to gotta say at this point, and, I, and Duncan and I have both talked, and I think we both agree with this to at least 90% agree. I think that uh, the Houston Texans job is going to be, I think it's going to close either today or tomorrow. I think at some point today or tomorrow, they're going to name their coach. I'm not sure who it is, but mm -hmm. I think, I think that Sean Payton to go somewhere else. I think the only place that's viable is Houston. And I, the reason why is because I don't think Denver has enough capital to send to Mickey Carolina isn't going to happen because they're not going to pay the price that it's going to take for them to trade Sean Payton to a division rival. And he's not going to Arizona because he's not going to work for the Bidwell. So that leaves Houston. So if he doesn't go to Houston, I really think he sits out the year. That's just my opinion. If he does, we already know through, through channels that he kind of wanted to come back to the Saints. What's the chances the Saints go 5-12 and 12 next year and Sean Payton is the coach of the New Orleans Saints in 2024? I, I can't see that. I can't see that scenario. And I see him coaching in 2023. Um, I, I do know a little bit about money, and I think Sean looks at it the same way I do. Um, if it's $18 million or $20 million, I do think the Broncos are, are the front-runner team for him at this. And I think you can come up with compensation that would satisfy the Broncos. Uh, you got a multi-zillionaire owner, you know, with Rob Walton, who's, who, you know, what he's worth, 68 to $70 billion dollars. Can you get him to take Mike Thomas, too? I, well, I don't know, buddy, if he'll take Mike Thomas. But, <laughs> that part. but I do know that I, I would put them as the front-runner team. It's not far from his home in Idaho, in, in Coleon. Right. Uh, and other than the 49ers, if you look out west, probably the, the most ballyhoo team is Denver. I think people from down south don't realize the the kind of Bronco fever that's there in that community and surrounding it uh, of how much there is there. <clears throat> I do know one thing about a billionaire owner. He ain't patient. You know, that's not how he earned his money, by being patient. He earned right. his by results now. Who can give him that? Some unknown assistant coach that has nothing on his track record? or a guy who's got a long track record. So that's why I would think, it would surprise me, Houston, because of the ownership, because of what's been yeah, there. Yeah, I don't necessarily think he's going there. I'm just saying that, to me, the only one that makes sense for the Saints. Because if you're Mickey Lim, what Mike, tell me, what do you think would be fair compensation if he goes to Denver? Their, their pick is going to be wherever San Francisco right. finishes up. So 29, 30, 31, 32. 
So, okay. I mean, you can't tell me that that pick's good enough for, the, for Mickey Loomis. No, I think you would get something else back, okay? If it's, okay, we'll take your first this year, and let's make it off production for next year, okay? Let's make it a production deal, okay? Uh, you get to a certain amount of wins, uh, it becomes uh, a second-round pick. Certain amount of wins, it becomes your first-round pick. And you throw us in a middle-round pick. Man, listen, I think that that's the sort of deal that you're looking at here with Denver. And I think that, come on, Walton has not waited this long to hire an assistant coach. Okay? He just hasn't. Yeah. Uh, That's my opinion. He's known for a long time where they were going to go. Pinner's known for a long time. They, They need a coach. But they need somebody to put that spotlight back on the Broncos organization. And I think Peyton would do that. So that's why I think you can come up. And the compensation is a lot easier for Denver than it would be with Carolina. Okay, David Tepper, too. David's worth with uh, estimated $25 billion. Money's not going to be an issue. Money's not going to be an issue with him. It's oh, I know it's not the money. With the right compensation for the Saints, and then you'd have to face him twice a year. To me, that's why Denver's the front-loaded team. And, man, you know, to walk away from a job that would pay you $20 million a year to take a job and continue it at Fox, I know he's not making – Oh, no, 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 no. You you, you got me wrong. Yeah, you got me wrong. I, I think Sean wants that job. I, I, I just don't know if Mickey Lo- if you're Mickey Loomis, is it enough to get basically the bottom of the first round? To me, if you get two first-round picks, if they say, okay, we'll give you this first-round pick and next year, but is Denver willing to do that? Because to me, that's what it has to – you have all you hold all the cards, Mike. The Saints don't hold, hold hardly any card. They've got one card. It's the ace of spades, and that's Sean Payton. They have the Sean Payton card. So I agree with you there. But I always think – there's always a deal out there. And if you That's let true. it out a year, okay, now what you've done, you've taken away the one capital that you could cash in. The one. But you also leave the door open for him to come back. I, I don't think he's coming back here. I, I, re- I really, really don't. I, I, that would shock me that he would come back to the Saints. And I get it. I understand uh, what Jeff wrote and and spoke about. And we had him on Sports Talk to sort of explain. But that would really surprise me um, that, okay, you leave, and now you come back two years later in a worse situation than what it was when you left. It's worse. I think the dude likes challenges, Mike. He might, but I don't know about this challenge. He's he's, he's crazy. I mean, who, who knows? But I, I hear you. Uh, going to be an interesting situation. I think it's going to uh, clear itself up very, very soon. Yeah. And I think within the next week, maybe week and a half tops, I think you're, you're going to know where, where or if Sean Payton is going anywhere. Uh, before I let you go this morning, I do want to talk about the NFL playoffs. And um, I don't think you can start, at least here in New Orleans, without talking about, to me, Joe Burrow has now surpassed Josh Allen and he's right behind Patrick Mahomes. This dude, what he has done, and what what going from LSU to the NFL, I, I gotta say, Mike, he reminds me, and I said this in my monologue, 
He reminds me of Joe Montana. And I know he's only two and a half years in, basically. But to me, he's got, and I know he's a little bit bigger, so he's not quite the same kind of quarterback. But this dude, when they say Joe Cool, it fits him to a T. This guy is going to be, he's going to win multiple Super Bowls, put it that way. What he's done to transform two programs. He came to LSU. They had no identity at quarterback. He gets them the double digits year one. And then he, the, maybe the greatest college football season ever. And I'll never forget, you know, they win the national championship. And, um, and the few, like, speaking engagements they had before COVID hit, uh, Ed Ogeron would always talk about, yeah, man, every time I pull up in my truck, man, I park it there. And I tell the good Lord, thank you for letting me be the head coach at LSU. And uh, one more thing, Lord, uh, if they got another Joe Burrow, send him to me. <laughs> and he would always joke with me, hey, T-Boy. He said, uh, I don't know if I'll ever see one like that again. He said, I hope what? I I don't know if I'll ever see one. And you know what? Jim, we may not see another one like no. him. We may never. And what he did to transform that program and then goes to Cincinnati, I mean, they flatlined as an organization. Flatline. Yeah. He comes and he breathes life into them. He gives them a swagger, a certain confidence. People want to play with Joe because he gives them much better than a fighting chance to win each and every week. And it's just the way he handled himself. You're not going to see, he's not going to get in trouble off the field. He's a right. homebody. He's not like somebody, okay, like from the body, hey, let's go out. We have a good time. No, he, he's not like that. You know, he's, he doesn't want to deal with that. It's amazing what he's done to transform, say, both programs. And, man, he's a winner. There's uh, he's no not question. The most physically gifted quarterback of the group. But his accuracy, his skill set, his focus, his ability to understand this game at a certain level is Montana-like. Because Joe wasn't the most physically gifted. No. By any stretch. That's but, why he reminds me of him. But it was between the ears. Yeah. Between the ears, what he could do for your organization. It's phenomenal there. And then to have Jamar Chase there. Yeah. You know? And to have that combination. And now we saw this year T. Higgins emerge as such a star receiver for him. And you, you got the other stud in the backfield, too, and Joe Mixon. No, Joe is underrated. Uh, for what he does, and most people would have a tough time if you said, okay, name me two offensive linemen for the Bengals. And you hear that dead silence. Most uh -huh. of them say, well, what about Lyle Collins? The formula? Well, he's not even playing right yeah. now. Uh, so, okay. And then so, Kappa could barely walk yesterday. And, and they had, like, this makeshift O-line. It didn't matter. It made a difference. And, and how... He makes everybody else around him better. And that, that, to me, is really the hallmark of a great quarterback, that he can make everybody around him so much better. And now he's got Hayden Hurst, the tight end, yeah. who had been a semi-bust with a couple different teams. He comes there, and he's a big part of their offense. It, you know, it's, it's remarkable to watch him uh, because, again, the mental part of it. And now... You know, just the football gods have come into play here. Yeah, Patrick Mahomes, who's the best player in the NFL today. There's no question.
No question about it. Now, he's got a high ankle sprain. Most of us understand, I mean, you have that. It's like a broken ankle. Yeah. And now he's going to be limited. He'll play, but he's going to be limited on his mobility. And he's the Pete Maravich of the NFL. No the, question. Kind of plays kind of behind the back, sideways, over the top, three quarters, you name it. He can do all that. How much is that going to limit him? And the one thing is the Bengals have beat them three times in a row. Now it's in your head. Yep. You know, it's in your head about it. You can say, oh, that don't mean nothing. Or the hell it don't. They don't think that. Those ears, and it plays a part in that game. And it will. I guarantee you the Kansas City Chiefs aren't thinking that doesn't matter. They, they don't think that at all. Because when a team beats you three times, especially when you're as good as that team is, even Andy Reid's thinking it, I promise you. Like, they, pro- I guarantee you they would have rather played the Bills. Oh, no no question. Their hand's way up in the air. No, no, give me Buffalo. Exactly. And in the Bills, they may, one through 53, have more talent. And even the Bills, you could see once Von Miller went down, they could not affect the yeah. quarter. And, and what it has done. Man, Joe was out there. It looked like a skeleton drill. Back there throwing the football, no pressure. Bang, bang, bang. And, you know, the first half, I mean, the ball barely touched the ground. And it is snowing. That field is rock hard, and so is that ball. Because once that ball gets wet, it becomes like a brick uh, to throw and to catch. And I still don't know what a catch is and what isn't. Yeah, that's the- I look at that Lamar Chase deal, and I know maybe to the letter of the law it probably isn't. But, man, you know, anywhere else, that looks like a catch to me. Yeah, that's a catch. Uh, I mean, I don't get, I don't get it either. We can sit here and debate a catch. Like, it was an easy win for them yesterday. Yeah. You know, because you could almost tell by, by halftime, it was like, yeah, I got it. I mean, it was 14 nothing before you batted your eye. I mean, you know, and you just knew that Joe Burrow wasn't going to let a 14 nothing lead slip away. He – He's not Justin Herbert, okay? He wouldn't let a, a big lead slip away. That team gets a big lead, they're going to finish it. And thank goodness the Saints are not in the AFC. No kidding. Okay, because you look at that quarterback accumulation in the AFC and yeah. not build around the quarterback, you're like, man, thank you, Lord, <laughs> that you don't <laughs> get there and I have to face those guys uh, on a schedule that you may see five to six superstar players at quarterback all in the AFC. And it goes to show people, uh, y'all overestimate coaching, overestimate my butt. Look what Doug Peterson did in Jacksonville. Yeah. Okay, Justin Meyer was a complete failure in the NFL for all the exploits he did in college football. And he'll go down as one of the top five coaches in college football over the last 20 years for what he's done. He failed miserably in Jacksonville. Doug Peterson goes in there, and in one year, they go from the first pick in the draft, they win a playoff game, and advance, and look. Because Doug Peterson knew how to get the best out of Trevor Lawrence. They did a great job with Trevor. Travis was healthy, ATN, and I would always kid him because he's come to a couple camps when he was in high school, 
uh, and Jennings, and he couldn't catch the ball at all. He fought it. The ball would hit him like three different times, like hit him here, 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 and he, he couldn't catch. But he really worked at it, and he's rebuilt their offensive, defensive lines. Next year, they'll have Ridley back from suspension. Yeah. And so you get a guy that I think is a really good player in this league. No question. And so you get him, you got a full set of drop choices. And Doug's game plan against Kansas City I thought was outstanding. Now, yeah. they can't get away from the turnovers. That's what did them in. But they did everything to put themselves in a position to have the Chiefs on the ropes in their own backyard. It, Mike, if Trevor Lawrence develops – because he's not there. If he develops, and, well, if he can stop turning the football over, I mean, to me, he's looking a little bit like Dak Prescott. And I don't mean any, look, I think Dak has, we're going to get to the NFC in just a second, but Dak has all the talent and he's got it between here, but he just has these mental lapses every now and then. And I think that's what, what Trevor Lawrence is kind of going through. If Trevor Lawrence can fix that, with all the things you talked about and with the draft picks, I think Jacksonville is in an excellent spot to be one of those next Cincinnati-type teams because I think they have everything else that they need. They have a good defense. I think they have a, a good offensive line, maybe one more running back. You talk about Calvin Ridley coming back, coming in there. They got a good receiving core. To me, Jacksonville could be that next team. Yeah, another thing, too, in the AFC, I, I don't know where they'll get it, but you look at the Jets. That's a team. Yeah, with, interesting team too. It's really good. They have two really good running backs, a couple of really good talents at receiver. Agreed. Offensive line's gotten better. They got to fix the quarterback issue. And if they get a top quarterback, then there's somebody else in the AFC that you're going to have to deal with a long period of time. Now, can they find that guy? Is going to be the big question mark. Well, and and I'll tell you. I didn't like what I saw from Josh Allen the last few weeks of the, of the year, uh, last few weeks of the regular season and into the playoffs. And who would have thought ever? I mean, Stephon Diggs is, is who he is. But to see him yelling at Josh Allen on the sideline, that's something you just hadn't seen from the Buffalo Bills. Inner turmoil? And, again, I go back to coaching. Who, who yeah. was running the offense last year for the Bills? Brian Dayball. Oh. Yeah, Brian did a great job. <clears throat> now, the one kind of fool's goal is he made some people believe Daniel Jones could be a star quarterback in this league. And then you found out, man, he goes up against the Eagles, and they absolutely slaughter yeah. him at that stage. But that's Brian and how he's able to relate and get the most out of the talent. And Ken Darcy and Joe Brady, okay, numbers might tell you a little different. Josh Allen was a different quarterback this year without Brian. No doubt. Calling and handling the offense. Because I do know with McDermott, he sort of has handed that offense over to Brian and said, listen, this is your deal. You handle it. Uh, how that made such a big difference uh, for the Bills this year and crucial times. And you're right. I think sometimes a Justin Herbert, a Josh Allen, they want to do too much. They wanted to, okay, put everything on my back. No, no, no. You got to understand, this is why we've built this team to have other pieces for you to utilize. And I think sometimes that's the one thing with star young quarterbacks. They want to try to do too much. Look at Joe 
And I think he's a perfect example of, okay, I'm going to utilize Higgins and Mixon and Jamar and Hayden Hurst and Tyler Ward. It's not always me. I want them to make the play. I think in Buffalo and also in L.A. at times, those two young quarterbacks, they feel like, okay, yeah, I got some of the other pieces, but it's me. You can't have that mentality. And Samaj P. Ryan uh, playing, yeah. was playing outstanding. You know, it, okay, that brings me to the NFC because you, you lead into it with Daniel Jones, and I don't know where the Giants are going. They, they, need, they need a lot of help to take that next step, in my opinion. But this game, this NFC championship game to me, between Philadelphia and San Francisco is fascinating to me. And the reason why is because I have thought, you know, I, and I look, I'm trying, I don't know who I'm going to pick yet because I've been more down on Philadelphia, even through all this winning. I don't know why, but I just haven't been able to buy into them. But what I saw on Saturday was a team that looked complete. Jalen Hurts, the injury. Now, he wasn't able to do some of the things that he was able to do before shoulder injury. But he was able to do a lot of them and more than I thought. But I just don't know. I mean, San Francisco didn't look great yesterday, but Dallas's defense was so damn good. Yeah. I'm just this is gonna be to me, it's it's such a fascinating matchup because you got a San Francisco defense that I think maybe except for their secondary, which is is good but not great, but everything else is fantastic. I just what do you see coming into this this Philadelphia San Francisco game? Their corners are the issue. Yes. Because uh, I think their safety play is pretty good, but their corners, ooh, uh, and they got to go up now against Devontae, A.J. And Brown. A.J. Brown, yeah. Ooh, that's going to be difficult. What I saw Saturday was total domination up front uh, with the Eagles' uh, offensive line. And how much one man makes a difference. Lane Johnson was Lane, back. And there is no debate. He's the best right tackle. And, you know, the announcer said, well, he's 75%. Man, I wouldn't want to go up <laughs> if he was 90 or 95. Uh, he was totally dominant on that right side. You can run the football, but it's the pass protection. And uh, did, did Thibodeau's name get called other than Not at all. Case? Not at all. If they play that type game, then the Eagles win. Yeah, because but Bosa is a different animal, Mike. Bosa's different, and also to the speed of their linebackers. Yeah, uh, and because Fred Warner, you know, you look at him, him Roquan Smith. When you call an off-line scrimmage linebacker, they're the two best in the business. There's no doubt, and what they can do to run the field, and in his pass coverage deal. Okay, he takes off downfield with a receiver, and he's yes. right step for step with him. Can you exploit their corners? And I think that is going to be the area the Eagles have to hit upon. For San Francisco, listen, Brock Purdy, I give him tremendous credit. He didn't wet the diaper yesterday. In some moments up against a really good defense, uh, he made it work and he figured it out. Man, I'm going to throw the football to Kittle. (laughs) Okay, if I'm going up against him, I take Debo out. I cannot let Debo Samuel become the main guy. Who are they going to have to match up against George Kittle? No one. That's going to be the key for the Eagles defensively. 
because they're going to stack the line to stop the run. They know that's what San Francisco wants to do, run the football. Can you match up against Kittle? So now your deal is this. How well the 49ers can cover Devontae Smith and A.J., and how well can the Eagles cover Kittle, who takes over a game? He took over the game yesterday. Yeah. When they needed it, he took over. Well, and, and another thing, you know, Jalen Hurts has not been in this situation in the pros, but he's still been in this situation in college. And to me, that kind of experience, it didn't used to matter as much, I think, as it matters now. And so I just don't – but I still don't know how he's going to respond. It's one thing when you beat a division rival in, in the divisional round. It's another thing to play the best defense in the NFL in the NFC Championship game. Yeah, um, I, I talked to Pete Jenkins about this because, you know, Pete, even though he's 82 years old, yeah. he, he works with uh, in the spring and the summer with defensive line of Alex. Like you, he's never going to retire, Mike. No, no, not till he dies. That's when yeah. he, I'll retire. Uh, but, he, you know, he'll go work with Kirby, and Nick counts on him a lot. And, and if Alabama's in trouble uh, on defense, that first phone call, it, it, it goes to Papa Pete. And he had told me this uh, last summer. Uh, we were talking about Jalen Hurts, and he's like, Mike, I'm so impressed with him, how well he's progressed as a, a passer. He's gotten better to figure out where to go with the football because he said, you know, when he was at Alabama, and he said, I think the same thing sort of happened. I didn't watch him as much at Oklahoma, but he was a one-read, takeoff, running downfield quarterback. Yeah. How much better he's been. But he said, you know what? I will say this. I think he's maybe the most mentally tough quarterback Nick Saban's ever had. Because he said, listen, with Nick, you're going to catch a lot in your ear. And, you know, he was able to go through it, and it was all okay. And he said, man, he's really mentally tough and handles those situations really well. But this is the biggest moment for Jalen because now this gets him to the Super Bowl. It gets him to the Super Bowl and going up against that defense, which they're probably of any team I've seen over the last couple, three years, they're old school defense. Almost yeah. what we saw in the 80s and maybe early 90s, those type defenses that squeeze you and their speed, their aggressiveness, ability to make plays, San Francisco's got all that. But is it enough? And does Purdy stay with the clean diaper up against that defense? Because those corners are really good. When you look at uh, you know Slay, Bradbury, and Chauncey going to Johnson kind of lurking around they they really good in the secondary. I think Slay's been outstanding. I mean, to me, oh. he's the one that's just kind of stood out, and he's just – you can't get it past him. You know, and, and he baits you. You know, yeah. he wants you to throw it to him, and I think you're going to see a little bit of one-on-one with him and Debo. I, I think at times you got to chance it, you know, if, if you're the Eagles. A one-on-one -on -one type situation, maybe sending an extra blitzer – after Purdy or whatever you got to do to help out with Kittle. Uh, but, man, he has played at an unbelievable level. My thing is, how the hell did Detroit let him go? I mean, I know they traded him, but, man, you can't let go good players like him. No, I agree with you, Mike, but I think, um, you know, what's not being talked about is I think Elijah Mitchell is going to play a huge role in this game. The way he runs the ball with 
Philadelphia is not as good. And I don't care what the numbers are, and I haven't even looked yet, but I, I'm telling you, they're not going to be as good against the run as Dallas was yesterday. And with the fiercity that, that you know, we don't know what's going on with Christian McCaffrey's calf, and we'll see if it plays a role or not, but I think this could be a big Elijah Mitchell game. Yeah, and you saw it in the second half. Where yeah, he Mitchell, looked healthy. Yeah, Mitchell got a, a big part of the load. The only thing is he got to understand, man, when you turn the Got to go down. Don't man, go out of bounds. <laughs> it's like, man, you know, I'm sitting watching. I was like, go down, go down. Yeah. And you know, I said, like, oh, my goodness. That's a young kid. <clears throat> and and you learn from it. But, man, I remember I had so many calls about him. He was sort of in a second list of running backs when he was at ERAF. Yeah. He he missed some games as a senior due to an injury, but he still, I don't know if he didn't gain like over 1,600 yards, as a, and he missed games. And a lot of people had him as the, the kind of fallback guy. Right. And, man, he was part of that three-headed monster at UF. They were rolling. And, Billy, uh, I know Billy's trying to kind of reproduce that uh, at Florida, and, and young ATN tra- is part of that too. But goodness, uh, man, they, they could roll it. And Elijah's gotten so much better in squaring his shoulders and running harder inside. He was a guy that liked to kick things to the edge, which most running backs feel. Man, ain't no high school player going to catch me. No college player is going to catch me if I turn the corner. But in the pros, no, they catch you. Uh <laughs> Better as an inside runner, and he's a, he, he's he's pretty good as a receiver. He he does catch the ball pretty well. I mean, he's nowhere in the neighborhood of McCaffrey, but that's going to be something to watch too in the fourth quarter with a lot on the line. Yep, Francisco trusted Elijah Mitchell. He was yeah. in the game carrying. It wasn't McCaffrey. If those two guys are, are both and. Well, obviously, Elijah Mitchell looks healthy, but if McCaffrey, if there's nothing going on with his calf more than just than, than minor things, everybody's banged up this time of year. But I just think if McCaffrey and, and Mitchell are both effective, and I think they will be against Philadelphia, that's that to me leads me to Frisco. That's but a tough, tough choice. It, it really is. Well, what, what do you think? You think I, I'm taking it by just from what I hear, you're leaning towards Cincinnati, Philadelphia. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, I'll put it to you this way. My pick is going to be Cincinnati. Uh, I just think they sort of have their number. They know how to play them. And, again, now I don't the think you're right. odds come into play with, with Mahomes that I'm going to go with Cincinnati. It's a slight lean to Philly. It's a slight one because I get what you're saying uh, about San Francisco. It's real slight there. It's basically going to be a pick em game for both. You know, within the final and the final intangible to me when it comes to the Philly San Francisco game is Shanahan versus Sirianni. Sirianni, and I gotta go Shanahan there. Just the experience that San Francisco's had, but when it comes down to it, coaching really matters in these kinds of games, which I guess would make me pick Kansas City. But the the fact that Mahomes is hurt, I can't. But in this in this particular game, Shanahan versus Sirianni, I just I think Shanahan's gonna gonna show him a thing or two. Jim, I'll never forget. Uh, I was doing some shows uh, with a couple people who I know pretty well in Philly, and and Nick gets the head coaching job, and he sort of fumbles that you know that opening press conference mm-hmm. where 
he just kind of talked in riddles and rhymes and it, it didn't come out right. And people are, man, if first impressions are real, we in a lot of trouble, <laughs> you know, and yet look at what he's done with that organization. Uh, he's picked good assistant coaches. A lot of yeah. them are young coaches. He's got a good staff around him, but I'll never forget that day. John Kincaid, no friend of mine uh, from Atlanta, but he's really a Philly guy. And he goes back to Philly and he was like, Mike, you always talk about first impressions really mean a lot. If you banking it off of first impressions, man, I'm going to be talking about nothing but five or six wins a year in Philly. And I'm like, I, I get it. But then when you watch his teams play, it took him a few games to kind of get some footing. You saw improvement with Jalen. You saw improvement with their offensive line, sure. their defense. Uh, they got a lot of talent on defense. Now's the game you spent <clears throat> that money on all these veterans, okay, that you went out and get. Can they make a difference to finish it off, which would be two games? Yeah. Well, it makes a big difference if they're playing it at home. It is really a tough place to play. The Niners this year have been obviously much better in their own place. So to go across the country, maybe you do give the edge to Philly, but there's just something about Frisco. I they I know Philly's got this swag, but I don't know that they've played this kind of team all year long. And it's gonna be it's gonna be fun to watch. We'll see what happens in the end. Mike Detelier, I am so glad I got to spend an hour with you. No one in this city. No one in this state, I don't think, has the knowledge that you have of this league and especially local football here. You're talking about Erath and Elijah Mitchell. That's not something that, uh, you know, local talk show guys are doing. You bring it all up, Mike, and that's why I wanted you on the show this week. Thank you, Jim. Uh, uh, I have an eight-year-old granddaughter. She tell me, Pop, how you know all that? How you keep that and you don't have to look at it or put it on a piece of paper? And I tell her, when Pop lose that, then Pop ain't going to be doing this anymore. <laughs> I got a feeling you got a, a good 20 years left in you, Mike. Uh, we're going to be listening to you for a long time. We, we're so glad you were with WWL and uh, the flagship of of this city. And uh, we're all listening to WWL, and we listen to Bobby and Mike, and uh, keep on doing what you do. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it, buddy. Talk to you soon. All right. Always, go, you know, I say this about every, and I mean it, but when you have Mike Dettelier on your show, you know it's going to be a good show. I can't even, I can't screw it up. When you got Mike to tell you on the show, even I can't screw that one up. You just wind them up and let them roll and you got a good show. And uh, speaking of good shows, that's about the end of this one. I mean, we had a long one this morning, but you know, I got into a little bit with my monologue and said things I needed to say. And, uh, you know, getting Mike's perspective, you know, we have... Jeff Duncan on every Friday. I can't wait to eat that king cake he owes me, by the way. I don't even know which king cake I'm going to ask for, but he was texting me last night, and uh, it hurt him. You know, the last text I got from well, I don't want to say it all, but uh, let's just say he wasn't happy with Dak Prescott. And if you're a Cowboys fan, you're, you're not happy with Dak Prescott. Right? Where's that franchise going? They got a long way to go. They're going to have some changes. We're going to get into it on Friday with Mr. Duncan and talk about it a little bit, but uh wouldn't want to be a Cowboys fan right now. I know, you know, it's easy to say we watch the Saints. The Cowboys are way ahead of where the Saints are right now, but they've got their issues coming up too. And uh, 
Do you love Mike McCarthy if you're a Cowboys fan? I don't know. It's a tough situation they're in. Uh, they're, they've, they've got a long way to go. But uh, we are going to talk more about the NFC and AFC championship games on Friday with Jeff Duncan. We're going to get our best bets with Uncle Big Nick. Had a very good week this week. Did you bet what I told you to bet? That teaser was like free money. Kansas City and Cincinnati easily covering the teaser. We are rolling 13 and 4 on our teasers this week. I don't know that. I don't think we're going to this year. That might be the last teaser we play all year. I mean, there's only three games left. Um, so, really, I don't know if there's any more opportunities to play teasers. We'll have to see. I mean, I liked. I will say this: when I should have bet it when it first came out, and uh, you know, San Francisco at first was one and a half. Now they're two and a half point dogs. But you know, San Francisco at plus seven and a half, and Cincinnati at plus eight and a half when it first came out. Should have pulled the trigger. I don't know if you can do it now that Cincinnati is only plus one. I don't think that number is going to get any smaller. I think that might be a pick 'em game by the time. In fact. If Mahomes is either out or we find out he's severely limited, the Bengals may end up being the favorite in that game. Um, I don't know. It's going to be an interesting week as I go through. Tuesday is the day when I start uh, doing my analysis. And so I'll spend, I usually spend two days, but now that there's only two games, I probably won't need two days. But uh, going through it, it's going to be tough to pick. It really is. This is not going to be an easy week to pick. Um but how can you not like Joe Burrow right now? And that leads me into how we finish this, this pod today. You know, I like to go out with a song, and I was trying to think of what song. And to me, the story right now, the playoffs, you could talk about playoffs. See, you, can't, you still can't do it. Um, the story is Joe Burrow at the moment. I mean, he's, with Mahomes limited, got to be the best quarterback left. And, and oftentimes when you think about Who's going to win the Super Bowl? I'm not sure Matt Stafford was the best quarterback in the playoffs last year. Playoffs. Uh, But maybe he was. But I know Joe Burrow is right now. And Joe Burrow just got that eye of the tiger. Doesn't he? And, I mean, it helps that he went to LSU, of course. But even if he didn't, the Bengals got that eye of the tiger. And so did the Bengals as a whole. Um... I'm with Mike. I think right now, and I know they're not a favorite in this game this weekend yet. I think they might be. By the time we get to Sunday, the Bengals might be favored in that game. So if you like Cincinnati to win this week and you want to play them, do it now. Don't wait. That number's not going to get any bigger. I don't care what. Look, unless Mahomes is running around in in practice, which isn't going to happen. It's it's just not going to happen. I don't see that number going down at all. I see it going to pick them and again maybe even a favorite the other game seems like uh i think a lot of people are going to love philadelphia this week from what they saw last week and i'm not saying i'm gonna gonna pick san francisco because i don't know yet it's gonna be tough but i know joe burrow and the cincinnati Bengals had that eye of the tiger we're gonna talk to jeff duncan on friday see what he thinks remember live show if you want to watch it live you can any of our social media platforms on bet.nola.com or nola.com on both on all of YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. It'll be there, 9.15 a.m. And if you don't catch it there, catch me here, where you always catch the Datitude Podcast. 
wherever you catch a podcast. We hope you have a wonderful week. Stay safe tomorrow. It's supposed to be some bad weather tomorrow night. And until then, peace and love, my friends. Peace.